Hello, and welcome to Flip the Switch. This is the podcast that is all about championing the multifaceted and multi-talented. And today's guest is one of the most multifaceted and multi-talented people I know, and a dear friend as well. So really, really happy for you to be here because you're someone that continuously breaks out of boxes. And we've shared the stage a couple of times now. So it's actually wonderful to have you here again, as always. So this is Cam, introducing Cam. Hey, 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 everyone. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm Camille Fouy, but yeah, Cam, call me Cam. Cam is cute. And yeah, I'm really excited to be on this podcast, Shana, because know, we so have happy. gone through so much together in regards to our careers and growth and all of that kind of stuff so yeah flip the switch let's go let's go love it and one thing here that we love to do is actually get you to introduce yourself so it's something I actually avoid talking about because I want you to play up play down all the multi parts of who you are Mm. um, and what is relevant to you now yeah so Cam what do you do? Oh, what do I do? <laughs> um, so uh, currently I am a racial justice and social justice consultant. I'm also a well-being facilitator and newly speaker. You are. <laughs> um, I also am the director of the Black Wellbeing Collective, which operates as a well-being um, platform for prioritising black communities to help heal from racial trauma. But we'll get into that later on. We really will. Um, And I also make earrings in my spare time um, (laughs) under clay cam. But uh, yeah, we'll get into all of that kind of stuff. So lots of alter egos, lots of things that you care about. I think the best place for us to start today is at the beginning of the journey. Okay. And that is creativity because I believe that you're a super creative person I think even a couple of weeks ago you were like oh I'm like talking about all the creative things that you're up to and I'm like you are literally so (laughs) creative you do so much I think that's a really perfect place to start in terms of inspiration and where it all kind of came from love that thank you as well that's a big compliment thank you um so creativity wise where did it start so it actually started with video games So I don't know if anyone is a gamer, but I think video games are one of the most beautiful, most wonderful, immersive platforms anyone can ever play. And I used to watch my sisters play Final Fantasy and I used to really look at the costumes and the world. They were like fantasy worlds and started looking into what these costumes were, found out they were cosplay, did textiles, performance design for GCSE or A-level or whatever. And began to design fantasy worlds and began to design costumes and characters and develop those characters. So it all started with being inspired by fantasy worlds in video games. So if anyone likes Final Fantasy, Bioshock, Devil May Cry 5, I'm I'm a fan of it. Um, But uh, there was something really wonderful about getting lost in a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And also, for just a little bit of transparency, school wasn't easy for me. I felt quite alone and wasn't treated very nicely. Bullying is something that can be heavy, but then at the same time, it enabled me to escape into this fantasy world and get lost with that. So through that, yeah, kind of started with video games, then went into costume and theatre and I ended up doing um, a BA in performance design and practice at Central St. Martins when previously taking a um, art and design foundation diploma beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my, essentially, uh, my career, if you say, started in theatre, started in festivals, in mm-hmm. circuses, creating costumes, doing 
stuff like interns and art department work and producing and all of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of difficult to say what I did because I did so many different things and that was on a freelance basis. So was it a process of figuring it out then? So you had this like idea of fantasy and escapism. Yeah. And it took you away from, in a way, like the everyday world. Yeah. Did that enable you to be yourself? Was that like a form of exploration of identity as well? Yes. So there's something around when you can dream and when you can storytell through those dreams, mm-hmm. it's completely infinite, which mm-hmm. is really, really exciting. So I was able to hone in on any issues or any um, pain that I had through fantasy and through escapism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was really healing for me as well at that time. Um, And I'd also say like early 20s was like my workshop phase. Yeah, Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of experimenting, experimenting with characters, experimenting with set, experimenting with storytelling, costumes. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to kind of make things look pretty so it was like a form of self-expression yeah through and was it like how you were feeling at the time like we were all going to touch across kind of inclusion Mm. but did it start there like your love of like accessibility and in in general like empowering others because I do think it's so intertwined with confidence yeah and just like the things that you were creating like even you were talking a little bit about you've got clay earrings like I believe that's a way of making you feel good as well Mm -hmm. and through Mm -hmm. art and I think that's so beautiful is that something that you've I guess like without realizing been doing that's a good question (laughs) I think (laughs) you're like whoa I'm like whoa wow (laughs) I think so maybe yeah and there's also something that's really healing with being able to play Mm. you know we use our hands uh writing texting screens but when you get to play with clay or what you get to play with embroidery or you get to play with um building a set or painting that agent of play allows you to I think escape from anything that may be heavy and you Mm. kind of go back into that inner child and making something from that I think is a sense of accomplishment and healing so yeah I definitely think my career essentially might have started through transforming pain into art because I think art is one of the most best healing tools sometimes things are too difficult to vocalize Mm -hmm. but you put it into an art form oh so much magic can happen with that yeah and you can help others I think inadvertently yeah I think you doing that and putting yourself out there encourages others to do the same thing even if it doesn't feel like it in a way like art as well can be like I guess taken and um molded into anything Mm. uh, which is so beautiful and I'm glad that you started (laughs) in such a a lovely place (laughs) Mm. for you as well I'd, I'd like us to like stick mainly to um, your well, the well-being side of you, yeah. and actually the founding of Black Wellbeing Collective. So I, I think I want to flip the switch quite early in this Ooh, episode. Oh, okay, let's flip um, it. Let's so I think let's flip the switch. Let's do it. I guess I met you three years ago. Two? Three is about three is years about, ago. About three years ago now. Yeah, it was three years ago. So a fair a long time ago, but yeah. that's when the Black Wellbeing Collective was in its early stages yeah. of idea phase. You were testing things out. You were working what it was even going to be. Yeah. And I want to know about the journey of like, what was the inspiration behind it? 
why did you want to create it? Because then mm. I guess what we want to do is really understand where you are now. Yeah. Because there's a big difference. I, like you've done so well and I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. If we all rewind to 2020. Um, actually, let's rewind further than that. Mm -hmm. So growing up, yeah, I grew up in a predominantly white school, in secondary school, and um, I was like the only black girl in my class. Now, with that came um, discrimination and things like that, which is painful to talk about, but also essential to this story and essential to the development. Because I think if I hadn't gone through that at school, I probably might have a different outlook on things. Mm. But I think due to institutional and systemic issues that follows into the workplace and follow into, it's not just in the schools, it follows into the workplace, into social settings, getting a job, like all of these different um, aspects of society right now I've always been a very uh, vocal and um, active person within these things and I have incredible parents who are very protective mm -hmm. at school that you know said you know you don't need to put up with um, injustice yeah. mm -hmm. um, and they made sure that the school knew about it as well yeah, so yeah. from a very early age I knew and what a sense of emotional and psychological safety was in regards to identity and race mm. um, and my parents are amazing examples of that and I do really give gratitude to that I guess from school mm. you learn actually a sense of like you're different maybe yeah. like I had the same experience of growing up in a in a white school yeah and but like I found the kind of fitting in like I would just kind of change who I was okay and then it led to kind of um going on that self-discovery journey quite late on like only okay. a few years ago was that journey of being like actually like I'm not a white person yeah. <laughs> actually I need to unlearn like all of these things that I've done to kind of put myself and fit in and it was like I need to break out in a mm. way so it was great that you had your parents to be like no like this is who you are mm. and then did that carry on then throughout I guess work the workplace has its ups and downs too mm. and you can have the like similar experiences to school yeah but more subtle I'd say it's almost with the workplace in a way because it's your money mm -hmm. <laughs> you know if you speak out you could get sacked mm. that's you know that's the reality that's of it. the reality of it you could be ostracized or pushed out for your job um or you can be um interdisciplinaries all of that kind of stuff um that can be used in silence in someone in case mm -hmm. they speak up. Now in school, the mechanisms of that can sometimes be slightly different. So in the workplace, sometimes it's harder mm -hmm. because also there's more of a hierarchy of roles and things like that. So in the workplace, I think it's more uh, difficult at times to speak out on, um, which is something, yeah, I definitely struggled with before, but I, I also felt like it was needed. Mm. Um, so when did you realise then it was time to like create the Black Wellbeing Collective? Was it after like a years of experiences or like, or was it was something that was always in your mind that you were going to do one day? Was mm. there like a particular moment that you were like, this is happening, this is what I'm going to do? That's a good question. Because I only knew you from the point when you had the idea. Yeah. So I didn't actually know the the before, the pre, the pre-BWC. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I felt like something was happening. Something was in the air. Something was in yeah. the water mm -hmm. because... I remember before the pandemic, I quit my full-time job. I was working in a product development company at the time and I quit based around, yeah, certain things I, you know, I didn't agree with, um, within discriminatory treatment. So I quit and I didn't have a job 
and I was finding myself a lot. But one thing that I was very drawn to was social impact and social justice. Now, I think it was over years of certain experiences. But one thing that I think was really important was the healing of these experiences, because I think in equal measure, it's so important to call this stuff out. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find enough spaces where there were healing tools or coping mechanisms, not that we should need, not that we should have these coping mechanisms, because they shouldn't be occurring, essentially, and you know, there should be more quality. But essentially, mm -hmm. I did not see enough spaces that reflected compassionate, valid, validating, and healing spaces for people who look like me. Mm -hmm. So when Black Lives Matter, um, kind of the protest started in 2020, I remember having my own fair share of anxiety attacks during that time and frantically looking for a healing space. That's when I needed the healing space, but then it was like mm. the stakes were even higher that I was like, okay, I really need, I need a space of ease and okay. I need a space of comfort mm -hmm. and I just couldn't find one so I decided to make one myself so to create it yourself yeah and that's what good founders do thank you <laughs> find a problem solve a problem solve it yeah <laughs> well yeah thank and you. so then I guess at the beginning it was very different to where it is now mm -hmm. do you want to just tell me about that journey because I think sometimes we can glamorize like founding businesses yeah and how easy it is to you've just got it you know you wake up one day you've got the idea boom and actually it's not how it works you yeah. go through quite a difficult process yeah. of understanding what it is testing things out failing so many times so many times <laughs> and like how was that process for you for figuring it out because I feel like you have got to the point where you're in a very good space yeah with the black well-being collective thank you yeah. and so yeah how's it been so I feel like the journey of developing and growing the Black Wellbeing Collective started, I say, at the workshop and trial phase. But there's one thing throughout the entire journey it has had ups and downs on burnout, which we'll touch upon maybe mm -hmm. a bit later. And also my lived experience is very closely attached to the work I do. Mm -hmm. That comes with emotional and yeah, emotional safety and also psychological safety as well for myself. It also comes with ensuring that I take care of myself because if I can't take care of myself, how am I supposed to give to the community that I'm serving? So all of these things kind of came up as time went on. But if I had someone to tell me <laughs> exactly, hey, just so you know, during this process, you're going to you might experience these things. Mm -hmm. Make sure, you know, you put things in place in order to look after your well-being. Yeah, that would have saved me a lot. But at the same time, I needed to go through that in order to understand and work it out for myself. So yeah. it's a tough learning, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a one tough of those, learning. It's not easy. I think a lot of founders go through that burnout phase. Yeah. And I guess because you are so passionate about what you want to achieve, yeah. that big goal has always been in your head and you just want to help others. But have you found it really difficult to separate, I guess, the experiences of others and yourself from and create boundaries around the business? Yeah. Because it's quite easy to be like, I'm just going to help and help and help others. But then, yeah, you touch upon burnout and how it can affect you personally. Yeah. And it's something that I know that you've been working on and you're amazing at it now. Your boundaries are very clear. Yeah. But that journey hasn't been easy, right? So not easy. I thought I had it at one point. <laughs> I remember talking to you. I was like, it's cool. I'm good. But I'm good. But then I would get sick 
every mm. single holiday and every single break and every time I rested, I'd get sick. You know, your body is trying to tell you you're not taking enough breaks or you're not, oh, I see. you're not doing it as frequently as you should. So I guess the kind of series of burnout, how it came about, but also managing it now mm. is I think the best thing is to have frequent breaks and I remember one person I met him in, in like a lift oh, he was yeah. talking about rest and I overheard the conversation and he said always work in a state of rest interesting which okay. I thought was so interesting because mm-hmm. if you're working in a state of rest then you're enabling yourself space and capacity to have ease but also work at the same time mm-hmm. and I never forget that particular phrase mm-hmm. ever but then how do you work constantly in a state of rest have you found that difficult or I found the finding that difficult as you as you know I found that difficult I thought um you know having working six days a week was something that um I should be doing and I also have found maybe taking a break once a month was Mm -hmm. helpful but now I'm at a stage where taking a break is finding things that actually calm my nervous system okay and I think the nervous system is really really important to understand when looking at burnout because essentially when you're working all the time you're like really really heightened even going to the chiropractor as you know I've got all these back issues Mm -hmm. but um they said that I hold a lot of tension on my neck area Mm -hmm. so stress is also connected to our nervous systems right so mine at the moment is definitely sound healing love sound healing I know I speak to you about it a lot love sound healing um swimming being Mm -hmm. in water Mm -hmm. saunas they're all s's saunas (laughs) 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 um steam rooms um yeah swimming and being outside getting outside like even yesterday I went on a solo hike Mm -hmm. and just turning off my phone turning off emails no notifications because the notification Mm -hmm. is the thing that will draw you in to do more work making sure that those notifications are turned off over the weekend even over the weekend sometimes I will delete Instagram as an app on my phone so that I don't check it and I have a break from it and journaling and that but then with this like all these different things that you've kind of created this like menu of like things that make like fill your cup in Mm, a way yeah how have you learned is that a process of just going through what you enjoy and making sure you always make time for it because otherwise yeah. we could easily sit at our desks yes like all night and mm. when you're in flow you're in flow and you just want to yeah. carry on but mm. your body's telling you like you need to chill out but yeah. sometimes it's easy to power through it yeah is it what you book that thing in so then you can create that boundary yeah and you kind of have to go <laughs> the i call them non-negotiables okay they are non-negotiable i have to do them over the month over the fortnight or every week mm-hmm. in order to work mm-hmm. so just as much as I have my task list and you know I have my schedule you've seen my schedule I've seen your, I've seen your schedule. schedule too it's busy <laughs> but um all of these things are um yeah the work is just as important as the self-care time and those mm-hmm. two things need to coexist together in order for either to be essentially as well respected yeah. because I think there's a level where I did not feel like I respected my self-care mm. enough 
and put all energy into other things. Mm -hmm. So those two things need to coexist at the same time in order to have a mindful, a mindful life. So mine are non-negotiable. So every single month I book them. Oh, great. Okay. I put them in my calendars and like that's solid, like yeah. that's not moving. And by not doing that, it means that it's going to impact the work I do. So yeah, they so all it's like really, go. really important. And I guess it's accessible for anyone because anyone can go out on a walk. Yeah. So there are ways of finding, like, even if you have five minutes, right, yeah. of your day to just quickly uh, take yourself away from your desk, is whether it's meditation or whatever. Mm. How have you now, especially with the Black Wellbeing Collective, started teaching and sharing the knowledge? Because yeah. you've learned so much yeah. and you work with incredible facilitators as well. Tell me about um, those learnings and what you've been up to. Oh, <laughs> so those learnings have actually come from places where I have burnt out. Oh, okay, and yeah. now coming out of that experience, being able to tell people, I've done this. I've lived it. Don't do what I've done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here are some things that's worked for me. It might not work for you, but these are things that's worked for me. Maybe we can have a conversation and try it. Mm -hmm. And also ensuring that the things that I've learned along the way are something that I can share but also understanding that everyone's self-care is different for each individual that's also based around self-care can look different for different identities different cultures different faiths even and ensuring that when I am teaching I'm giving them space to tailor it for their needs as well as um yeah, the kind of like, yeah, the kind of stuff that they need. I guess you went from kind of workshops and testing lots of different things to programs this year yeah. and actually creating programs which impact people that are underserved. Yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and yeah. what you've been up to? Yes. This is like <laughs> one of the biggest achievements of 2023. I know, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This program that the Black Wellbeing Collective launched is called the Taking Care of You program. So wonderful partners, shout out to you guys, Justice, Justice Initiative Together, basically an organisation that helped um, racialised people who work in the migration and refugee sector, as well as other wonderful things that they do. And yeah, they came to the collective, saw the well-being services that we provide, which is self-care talks, workshops, programs, creative workshops and holistic practices and thera therapeutic services now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they contacted the collective and spoke about um, how racialized people in the migration and refugees sector are burnt out and experiencing vicarious trauma on a case by case basis. Um, so essentially, we provided this um, program called the Taking Care of You program, which is eight weeks long. And every single session centers different well being tools for um, people who work in the sector. Because there's something around sometimes when your lived experience is closely attached to your work, it, it can lead to burnout. It can lead to vicarious and racial trauma included. And it can be very heavy. So essentially the program is centred around giving ease, sustainable well-being, mm -hmm. mental health maintenance mm -hmm. and a community. Mm -hmm. um, you'll probably be able to see it on our website, but our feedback was the most joyous thing. I was crying when I was writing the report oh, of it because... Every single person said that program helped them in some way. And it wasn't just giving them well-being tools within the workplace. It also helped them on a kind of in a, in a life way in many mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, oh, this is so touching. But the most important thing with that program is the community, because mm -hmm. I think there's something really rich in when 
people come together with similar lived experiences, there's an ease, they feel understood, mm -hmm. but also we're giving them the tools and the space to experiment and explore what well-being tools speak to them and what works for them. So just as an example, a few of the sessions were based around burnout, anti-burnout practices and self-care. There was also one on migration journeys and understanding more about one's identity, celebrating their identity and storytelling. Yeah. There was another based on self-compassion. Self-compassion is not taught enough. No. We need more self-compassion. Giving compassion to others is just as important as giving to ourselves. And then at the end, we had a celebration um, of the program. And it was like cookie baking oh, and lovely. painting, pizza, treat bags. <laughs> the body shop donated some of their lovely products oh, to us. So honestly, and I couldn't have done this all without the wonderful team. Yeah. Um, so shout out to the Taking Care of You program team, um, who is psychologists, um, social entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and therapists who just absolutely bossed it. So um, I think yeah. and you need to give yourself a lot of credit for it as well, yeah. because you work so hard. I remember when I you remember. were in it <laughs> and there was a lot there was a lot yeah. going on. I'd love to hear from you is the, the future of yes. that. So that program did really well and you helped lots of people and in such a beautiful way to have it's, it's like all about sustainability is what I see with what you're creating yeah that is it that someone can go away now and they can be more sustainable in looking after themselves yeah is that what you now want to like scale yes so essentially the program is an introduction of tools and resources that someone can use in mm -hmm. order to then um, sustain their own mental health and their well-being maintenance which I think is really important because sometimes we're not really given the space or the tools in order to experiment on what works for us it's not really taught enough so the aim of this program really is yes to expand help as many people as possible um, and to continue the work both in the migration refugee sector but also to extend lots of other different sectors that need that same support I think yeah just as I've kind of gone into this journey of anti-burnout practices work and well-being is has to coexist mm. in in the same measure in order for yeah this kind of cycle of work to be um, efficient and mm. also for you to be happy doing it yeah because burnout is it's real you've seen me go through <laughs> it it was a lot yeah, it was a lot. a lot and and that's why I completely empathize with how you were feeling yeah because I've experienced you've, that yeah you have and to know like even an ounce of it when you get close to that burnout you yeah can't, you just don't ever want it to happen ever again yeah and I think that's great that now you can teach others yeah. I wanted to touch upon something that I think entrepreneurs go through which is we have lots of ideas yes and constantly <laughs> too many you know, ideas we want to grow we want to do this <laughs> we want to do that and yeah. that's great mm -hmm. and when we're good at stuff we also want to monetize it yeah which is to our detriment really <laughs> money money it? money Cause baby because you, you just want to monetize every part of you yeah and even actually you need to keep some things as hobbies yes like those nature walks yes like that should just stay a hobby yeah you know like how have you learned to kind of stop monetizing things because i know we've talked about this clay clay cam yeah. earrings that you um came up with the most amazing, stunning, colourful earrings. Thank you. And that was a hobby, That right? was a hobby, yeah. And it's so easy to turn something that you're good at into a monetization business. <laughs> yeah. But that is like the kind of this thing that entrepreneurs have. It's like, okay, 
can I expand this somehow? Which I think is a really good thing to yeah. have. Yeah, for sure. But to um, kind of hone in on what is a hobby and what do I want to make money out of is mm. important because I'm like, you could just do that for everything. Yeah. But can. also being selective on what it is that you want to monetize actually also helps with refining what your hobbies are and what your escapism is because I remember I so clay cam clay earrings I started it because I was so bored when I had COVID (laughs) I was I was just incredibly bored saw um you know people making clay earrings on YouTube got myself loads of clays literally from Amazon like the day afterwards and just started making them but I started that business though that's the thing I started it but then the amount of work Mm -hmm. it takes in order to get it off the ground I'd rather put that into social impact yeah and I think that was a difficult decision because I I really do love making those earrings but then at the same time selling them to family and friends giving them as gifts right now is enough for me and I love to play just like going back to the beginning of my career I love to be able to play Mm -hmm. again with a different material you know using hands in different ways you're not texting you're not typing you're not writing I'm not looking at a screen sometimes I watch tv as I do it but (laughs) but all I need is an oven and I need all my materials right okay because you have to bake the clay but then it's good that it's come back around right it's like a full circle moment of actually black well-being collective yeah and then you have this beautiful hobby that you could always play up yeah in a way it's like simmering in the background and you could turn it up one day when you feel like you have time when black well-being collective is in a good position that you could add another pot in yeah i think it's a a great thing to like utilize what you're good at right yeah Um, and that's what i love about being multi-hyphenates is because we can play up play down and build that portfolio career in, in whatever way we wish. Yeah. Which is pretty beautiful. And you know what? I don't know if anyone else has that who enjoys lots of different things. But growing up, sometimes it's like you have to choose one thing and be good at this one thing. And I remember feeling so pressured with that. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I have to choose this one thing. But there's something really beautiful about exploring, being playful, which will only strengthen one's mm-hmm. portfolio and who yeah. they are. Because... And I don't think anyone should ever be scared of doing it. Mm. Try as many things, fail at many things. It's okay because you're exploring, even though you're exploring your skills, you're also exploring yourself, who you are, what you like, what you don't like. Mm. And it's, I also think it's okay to actually put some things to a side and start something new. If it's not working, that's cool. That's fine. Move on. Put it to bed. Try again, try again, Mm -hmm. try again. And I think that is a true entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like never giving up as well yeah because I think you never know how close you are yeah to that little shiny diamond that you've been tapping away at and one day you'll get there yeah but I think we can give up really easily that it wasn't working out for us but actually it might have been the wrong timing for us it might be like the wrong market there's so many different things and it's like trying it from all angles is the Mm. best way to do it and being building as much leverage as you can yeah which I think that's why I think monetizing everything can be great because you learn so much Mm. by testing out and doing lots of different things you touched on a little bit something that is really interesting about your purpose you know like we're kind of taught to do one thing yeah have you do you feel like you found your element like you talked a lot about social impact today yeah is 
your element and you know the thing that puts you in flow state is that yes helping others 100 percent. my younger self would have really needed a space like the black well-being collective growing up because mm-hmm. it would have saved little cam from a lot of depressive anxiety ridden feelings of not feeling enough mm. not feeling she was like yeah it's just that she wasn't enough or that her identity and humanity was always in question in certain spaces if I had had a space like that like the black well-being collective that I've created that would have enriched me with so much empowerment mm-hmm. I had that in my home I did um but home can't follow you into school essentially no, you know so community is everything I do really think that the black well-being collective is the thing that has number one is my lived experience yes but it's also that inner child is healing the more I continue my business as well and helping others yeah because, at the same time right? yeah so Which like and I think it's it there's an urgency in well-being and healing and storytelling when it comes to supporting yeah. um, communities who really do need it because well-being support also is has to be intersectional mm. and has to have an intersectional lens with who they're supporting in order to give them the best support and at an equal measure sometimes you work you'll you'll have a business for 20 years and then you might change that's when true. you get older we grow we evolve yeah and when you never know what's going to happen around the corner yeah, you but I, I love that you found your element right here right now yeah and i think that is a beautiful uh way to end yes um how can we find out like how can we find you on socials black well-being collective and and your personal do you yes. want to share a little bit more about that yes 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 so um yeah instagram is where it's popping really mm-hmm. most for social media <laughs> <laughs> no, no one uses twitter these days <laughs> X now X um so yeah the black well-being collective um or the black well-being collective.com there's also a facebook page as well um or if anyone wants to get in contact if anybody wants to join as a community like as a community member or if they want to work um within the directory you can email us at hello at the black well-being collective.com 